Welcome to Excel Boats on the X Podcast, powered by Mud Buddy Motors. I love the smell of napalm in the morning. The only podcast to bring you insights on the world of hunting, fishing, and boating. With your host, J. Paul Jackson. You don't say much, do you? Now, blow it up and side in. This is On the X. Welcome to the Excel Boats On the X Podcast, powered by Mud Buddy Motors. Jay Paul Jackson here this week with, uh, of course, Dave Reynolds, Excel Boats National Sales Director and co-host. How you doing, brother? Doing great. Doing great. How about you, Jay Paul? Doing good. Not duck hunting enough, but... Uh, yeah, I heard it's been pretty tough hunting there in Arkansas so far. I mean, everybody I've spoken to, with exception, I think, of uh, maybe Freddie King. But you know Freddie, man. You know, he, uh, if there's any birds in the state... They'll find them. You know, Freddie is but, kind of uh, like a, the special yeah. forces of duck hunting. You know? You're right. He is. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. yeah he's he's definitely. Started, yeah. Uh, special forces, Navy SEAL, you know, gets out there in the scuba gear, you know, at night. And, you know, he finds them if there's ducks in the state. But uh, <laughs> everywhere else, man, you know, sounds like uh, all the ducks are north of you. In addition to all the water you've been getting. Yeah, man, over here in West Tennessee, the Mississippi River is so high and so big, and there's been so much rain. Every field has water in it. I mean, there it's, it is, you know, so dispersed. I, I don't know whether we don't have the ducks down or they're here, but there's just so much water that they've got lots of places to go, so we're not getting in on them. But I know, right, you know, it's been thin. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely, definitely not been consistent here. And uh, and speaking of special forces. Um, we've got a pretty interesting guest joining us today also. We're, we're awful pleased to have a Mr. Darren Jones with Silencer Co. Now, listeners out there that don't know what Silencer Co. is, Silencer Co. is one of the largest, if not the largest, manufacturer of suppressors or silencers, as uh, they're often called, in the world. And uh, we got a lot of cool products, including one that a uh, duck ninja like Freddie really needs, the Salvo 12, and you suppressor that they came out with a couple of years ago for shotgun so darren welcome to the podcast man glad to have you i appreciate y'all having me yes sir now you're out in texas correct yes sir i'm uh i've kind of split my time between san antonio uh deep south texas like right on the mexican mm -hmm. border uh along the uh the lower laguna madre and baffin bay where I do a lot of my duck hunting and then I also try to when I when I get the opportunity I try to get up here in East Texas and hunt the timber like on the Sulphur River, Trinity River bottoms, places like that. Yeah, that's pretty neat timber hunting there in that area of the world. Yeah, it's it's really cool. It's uh it's it's really cool up in this part. Um uh, I was talking to a guy yesterday and I was like, man, people that have never experienced timber once especially from a South Texas guy coming from the coast where it's you know flat and you can see for hundred miles in every direction you get in the timber and don't know where the ducks are coming from. And then they get in that vortex and fall into a hole and you have a hundred plus, you know, hundred to 200 mallards falling into a hole as big as your living room. Uh, for people that have never experienced that uh, waterfowl hunter wise, you, you have to go experience. Yeah. That. You know, and a lot of people don't realize that there is green timber hunting uh, and cypress breaks and stuff in East Texas. Did you know that Dave? Yeah, yep, I have heard of that. Yeah, in fact, uh, you know, that Dr. Duck, he was with uh, Excel and, and Sitka for a while, and um, he's from that area and hunts a lot of timber. So, no, I, I was very surprised. You wouldn't think a uh, picture 
uh, Texas is timber hunting, you know, maybe maybe cactus hunting, you know, flooded <laughs> cactus or something, but uh, now not uh, not timber. So, yep, I was uh, very surprised. Now, Utah, on the other hand, there is absolutely no timber hunting here. Now, there might be some flooded willows, which uh, you might be able to call pseudo timber hunting, but uh, we, we definitely don't have anything out here. So I'm jealous. It is fun. I have done it in Arkansas, and it is uh, pretty thrilling. Yeah, you'd have to have trees first to have timber hunting. And <laughs> yes, you do. We don't have trees, and, and secondly, we don't have water either. Yeah, we're we're in a drought here. So I'm jealous of all the water. You've been getting uh, rain. You've been getting in Arkansas. Oh, we're supposed to get rain again Thursday. It's like 80, 90 uh, man, every time I talk to our rep, Bill Atkinson, well, we got another four inches last night, you know, supposed to get another seven tomorrow. It's like, my gosh, that's just, it's hard to comprehend that much rain. It's, I don't understand it at all, man. The cycles that we've been through, I mean, in 2011, we had uh, the greatest flood of the Mississippi River of all time. And then in February of 2016, we had the third biggest flood of all time. And then this year, we had another year that came in the top 20 and the river has been just up and down, up and down. I don't know what's going on, but you know, we've had uh, a 500 year flood at least three times in the last decade. I don't know why they call it the 500 year flood because it sure as hell isn't that here. <laughs> yeah. No kidding. How wow. water conditions out in Texas, Darren? Well, it, it depends where you are in Texas. Um, yeah. It's kind of a big place. It's uh <laughs> East Texas is, you know, more like of your piney woods and hardwoods, like you would see in the deep south, like you would see in Arkansas, you know, uh, the Sulphur River that I've hunted before is, and what they call the Arklatex, which is right up there in that Arkansas, Arkansas, Louisiana, you know, kind of up in that top corner up towards Texarkana. And then uh, they've had a good amount of rain up here. Uh, I've talked to guys on the Trinity. Uh, I've, got a, I've got a guy that I was talking to who runs Fowl Creek Outfitters. Uh, down south of Dallas here, and he says they've got a lot of water up on the Trinity, and they've been shooting a lot of birds. Uh, it, but it's ebb and flow, you know. Uh, next cold front comes through, like this one that's going to come through uh, tomorrow and dump rain on us tomorrow and y'all on Thursday. Uh, it's probably going to push in a few more birds. Uh, it'll probably, you know, kick some snow on some ice and some things up north and then push them down. South Texas is in great shape right now, especially along the coast. The, only, the bad thing for us when that happens is when we have a lot of water, along the Texas coast, it really, it can push the ducks out. Mm. Uh, if they're going to hold in one certain location, then they're going to be there. So uh, guys that actually manage for ducks, like guys around the Houston area where there's just a ton of waterfowl in the, uh, you know, the Garwood Prairie, uh, El Campo, Wharton, that area, that's just a powerhouse for duck hunting in Texas. Uh, that's the upper coast compared to us. That's, that's a four and a half hour drive from where I hunt. Um, yeah, I hunt right down there south of Corpus Christi, and we have, uh, we've had a lot of rain, rain down in the uh, ranch country, you know, the King Ranch, the Kennedy Ranch, the, the big ranches down there. And uh, I was watching it this last weekend is, you know, we had a big group of pintails come in and we took a couple of them out and they just swam over or they just flew over to the next little, little water hole inland lit. And that was it. And then the next group would come in off the coast and they do the same thing. And then they just, and they just kept, and they never had to get up. And if nobody's hunting them, you know, if there are a few guys are hunting on the bay, then it does keep the birds moving a little bit. But, you know, they, they just don't have, they don't have to move. There's so much food right now and so much water. They just don't have to get up. So, but there's plenty of birds. The birds are in good shape. 
from what I can see. See, and Dave, I think that's exactly what's going on here. I just think that we've got so much water, they don't have to move. So, you know, I'm not convinced we don't have ducks down south. I, I think it's just all that water um, has them, you know, uh, dispersed. And if, you know, particularly during the week, no hunting pressure. You know, they don't have to get up and move. They got plenty of water, they got food, so they just hang out. So, you know, people are assuming we don't have the ducks because they're not seeing them, but I'm not sure that that's the case. Yeah, yeah, and then secondly, it's been warm there too, and I think when it is mild, uh, they become pretty nocturnal too. You know, a lot of them will feed and fly at night and rest during the day, so you don't see them, especially when they're spread thin. I had this conversation over the weekend. I was hunting in the boot hill of Missouri, and uh, you know, we were talking about corn, and it was really, really mild, and uh, we go in that morning and we got up several thousand ducks out of the field that we were going to be hunting in. And, you know, they got up and we had ducks milling around us. We had greenheads lighting in the decoys at five minutes to shooting time. And then at two minutes to shooting time, I guess a bell rang somewhere telling them it was time to go. And they all left. And I was telling the guys, you know, we just saw a ton of ducks. They're obviously here, but the bad thing about corn is if it's mild and they're not hurting, all it does is it makes them nocturnal. You know, you're not going to see them to really successfully kill ducks down here in the corn. They've got to be hurting. It's got to be 25 degrees, lots of stuff frozen, you know, weather threatening to get worse where they're trying to load up on those carbs. Um, and if they're not hurting, they just go nocturnal. Oh, sure. Especially when it's mild, they don't need as many calories. You know, they could eat a little and they're good for the day. When it's cold, they're constantly eating. But mild weather, you know, they don't need to eat much and they sleep a lot. And that makes it, that makes for a tough combination. Yeah. Hey, hey, Paul, let me, let me ask you a question. What do you think about how, how does a full moon play into a lot of that? Because I know I've had guys down here, some of the old timers say that, you know, we try to get, we've had some really knockout teal hunts in the early season on the full moon those teal will ride that full moon down all the way down. They'll fly all night and then rest down where we are. And, and they just, and then after that full moon, it's like, we don't have any birds because they just pick up and keep moving with that moon further on down into Mexico or wherever they're going. And uh, when it's not a full moon, it seems like a little bit more gradual progression, but when that full moon's on, it seems like it's a mad dash uh, with birds falling that moon. See, and it's just the opposite for us here. We hate a full moon. I mean, most of the guys, I don't know anybody that I hunt with I don't like that, that likes a full moon uh, because the ducks are, are even more nocturnal. You know, I don't think they continue moving on us with the full moon so much as they just, they don't, you know, they've got plenty of light they, at night. I think they, uh, you know, go out and they feed all night in the moonlight. And then in the day they go and loaf and they rest. And in the fields, we, it's terrible on a full moon. Um, so we hate it down here. We, you know, it's the opposite of a mad dash here. It's like, oh crap, it's going to be a full moon this weekend. I'm going to go deer hunting, you know, because <laughs> the ducks are starting to yeah. work. Yeah, it's similar in Utah too. I mean, the only benefit of a full moon is, you know, you don't need headlamps to put out your decoys in the morning. It's you know, <laughs> pretty bright. But um, other than that, yeah, it makes uh, for a very, very tough hunting. But, you know, my philosophy is best time to go hunting is whenever you can. <laughs> so, yeah. If it's a full moon, I'm still going to hunt and try. Um, I don't have the luxury of being able to go every day and picking my day. So I go when I can. And, you know, I've noticed, too, sometimes on the full moon, uh, 
the better hunting is later in the afternoon. Oh, no doubt about that. Because they have fed all night and, um, you know, morning's dead. But, you know, a little later afternoon, they'll start to move around in a little. So um, you know, I just have to stay out there long enough. Same with deer hunting, especially down here in South Texas during the rut. You know, same thing. You know, sometimes you won't see anything moving in the afternoon. But if, they, if you have that moon over major in the afternoon and deer are out moving around, you know, between 12 and 2, going crazy. Right. Yeah. Everybody else is back to camp taking a nap. If you can get out and rattle some horns, you're gonna you're gonna see something. Pretty cool. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, same with the ducks out here in the marsh. Everybody goes out first couple hours and oh, this sucks. We're going home. And you know, you get out in the afternoon and you have pretty good pretty good action and the marshes to yourself. But yeah. So Darren, uh, do you let, tell me a little about your product. Do you use the uh, product for waterfowl hunting? Absolutely. Um, you know, we came up with the salvo uh from like three, around three, three and a half years ago, um, John Schultz, one of our founders, Jonathan Schultz, he, we kind of just did it as an off thing. He's like, well, you know, let's start throwing around some new product ideas. And um, we're like, what about a shotgun suppressor? And, and he's like, actually, I've been working on one because he went on the duck hunt with, uh, with a friend of his in Oklahoma. And he was in a duck blind. And as y'all know, in a duck blind, it can get, you know, if you're in the timber, you're spread out. If you're in layout blinds, you're a little bit more spread out sometimes. But in a blind, if there's three or four of y'all packed into a blind, it can get it can get loud. Um, and a few shots are fired off, and and he was just wearing like some you know foam earplugs, and he's like, "This is ridiculous." I'm, and he got out of the blind and left. It was so loud. He's not like a hardcore duck hunter. He was just going to like, "Hey, I'm going to go on a duck hunt," and wanted to go see what it was all about, and. He's like, this is ridiculous. So we've got to, we've got to figure something out here. So he's just started, you know, drawing some stuff up and just drawing some concepts up. And when we finally brought the idea to him, he's like, Hey, look, this is something that, that, you know, we see some, some use cases here. Not everybody wakes up every day saying I need a shotgun suppressor, but um, for everybody that I've shown it to um, mostly duck hunters and turkey hunters, uh, I have not, I've only had, I can say I haven't had anybody, but I've only had a very few people say, yeah, I just, I just don't like it. Uh, most of the guys that shoot it, the first couple of times they shoot it, they, uh, they don't really, they don't really, uh, they, they're like, ah, this is just different having this weight on the end of the gun. Um, but it, it, it absolutely, absolutely helps. Um, with you know with that that ringing that you get sometimes when when you have somebody take a high shot in a blind or um none of us like for it to happen but sometimes people will shoot across you on a blind and that's when you really get wrong and the guys that i've really talked to the like are the guides the guys that are sitting there calling when you're shooting you don't really notice it but when you're standing next to somebody and they torch off a you know a three inch mag you know number four and it's uh it's that's a loud shot and uh, most of the guys that, that have been around it and listened to it and been in a blind have liked it. Uh, guys that I've hunted with down in, uh, around Houston, I was on a duck lease a couple of years ago with some guys and I took them into the blind. And I was like, hey, I just want everybody to try this. I said, if you don't like it, you don't like it, but I want everybody in the blind to shoot one. And uh, my friend, Brian, uh, Brian Osteen down there in Houston, he, he did it as well and guys ended up ordering salvos because they're like, man, this is, this is really nice. If everybody's shooting one of these in the blind, it is really enjoyable. 
you don't have to worry about wearing any kind of hearing protection or wearing you know the muffs and amplify sound because as a duck hunter everybody knows a duck hunter and turkey hunting you have to be able to hear um i i lost a good portion of my hearing overseas and i lost the other portion of it to like loud machinery and metallica uh so <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't have, I've got like 30% hearing in my left ear um, and uh, about 50% in my right ear. And you think with these big old ears, I'd be able to hear, but I can't. Um, so I usually wear hearing aids and they're actually getting repaired right now because they don't do real well when they get water on them. So um, I'm a big believer, not just because I work for a suppressor company, but I'm just a big believer in the technology. And the salvo makes a lot of sense in certain situations. Not every situation. Not every situation is going to dictate, you know, you know, having the, uh, you know, ha having a can on the end of your shotgun. But for duck hunting and turkey hunting, where you're, especially where you're shooting magnum loads and you're getting, you know, you're burning a lot of powder, uh, it's really nice. And it reduces some of the recoil as well, like most suppressors do reduce recoil. So it's there's there's okay. some so, there. Mm -hmm. Greatly reduces the decibels. Then, uh, how much is it? Uh, how many decibels does it take it down to? Then, uh, typically. Well, um, to go into that, the, the salvo comes in the package, and it's a foot long. Okay, so it's a 12-inch can. Now it's modular. Mm -hmm. You can take it apart, and you can shorten it. Now, the 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 way I tell guys, I'm like, if you're going to run a 12-inch can, run a 22-inch barrel because a 12 inch can is like 34 ounces. That's a lot. Um, for hunting, if I'm shooting, like I shoot a Super Black Eagle, uh, an M2 and a Vinci, I also shoot a Versamax. I shoot all different kinds of shotguns when I hunt. It just depends what I reach in and grab that day. And um, if I'm shooting a longer barrel, like a 20 inch, 20, 28 inch barrel or a 30 inch barrel, I'll run a six inch or an eight inch suppressor. If I'm running my 22 inch barrel gun that I have on my M2, which I use for turkey hunting, I'll use it for timber hunting and things like that, you know, where I'm taking some closer in shots, I'll run that shorter barrel and uh, I'll run an eight inch or a 10 inch on that to get a little bit more sound suppression. So to answer your question, of course, the larger suppressor is going to have it in that 138 139 which is that threshold that osha says that anything over 140 decibels of impulse noise is going to cause hearing damage okay if you're exposed to 140 or more on the db level you're going to experience some kind of hearing damage if you're exposed to that that impulse noise over a certain amount of time so the majority vast majority of our suppressors are going to get, you know, especially on the rifle side, down into like that 135, 136 range, depending again, depending on the caliber and atmospherics and everything else. But on the on the salvo, the 12 inch can is going to knock it down to, I believe it's about 138 somewhere in there, uh, right right on the it's right on the level. And if I'm running a six inch on a 30 inch barrel uh, at the ear, it's going to be about the same because it's further away from you. Okay. Uh, if I'm running a six inch can on a 22 inch barrel, it's going to be louder because it's closer to me at the ear. Uh, and, and you can get into the whole at the ear, at the muzzle, all those kind of different measurements that, that are taken. But most of the guys that I hunt with run either the six inch or the eight inch because they're running factory barrels 
and you know which you know they're when they buy a shotgun they don't want to buy nine different barrels for it that's what white coat tubes right so mm-hmm. most guys are running most of the guys i hunt with shoot browning benelli beretta uh have a few you know sprinkling of guys that shoot the versa maxes and everybody almost everybody is running either a 26 or a 28 and and i don't know about y'all i mean i would be interested to hear what 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 a lot of different guys run but that's what most of them run so they buy the rod kit for the salvo uh it's we have six eight ten and of course it comes as a 12 and i've had some guys that they'll stick that 12 on there because they're like man i just don't want to i don't like the bark and i'll deal with the weight because i'm in a blind i'm not having mm-hmm. to up it everywhere um and they get used to it i i don't want sure to. well i guess that's something you have to take out to the skeet trap range you know uh, obviously before season and sure get used to the different balance and and the weight uh, barrel weight yeah um and, and you know is it you know what i know what people think of suppressors silencers um you know many people think oh man you know that's that's illegal you know um uh these are obviously approved in every state uh yeah i know many hunters will, will think that uh, oh man i could shoot after hours with a uh you know with a suppressor that thing's not going to make any noise but contrary yeah so clear up the uh misunderstanding about silent suppressors as far as legality in in every state right well they're not legal in every state um right okay now, right now you can you know we have uh you know, California, New York, Massachusetts, uh, Rhode Island. California? I can't believe California. Yeah, there. Believe, it kidding? Yeah, believe it or not. Yeah, <laughs> well, We can't even sell mud buddies in California. <laughs> believe me. You know what? That, it, it's sad because California has some of the most. California has some some great people, and and some really great hunting in California. I mean, fantastic. Oh yeah, I lived there for a while. Oh. Yeah, believe me. You know, people buy mud buddy motors. Have to drive to Nevada to pick up their motors. We cannot ship to California. <laughs> That's insane. Yeah. Yeah. Ridiculous. Uh, and New York, believe it. So, Cal- sorry to interrupt. California, yeah. New York. California, New York, Massachusetts. Um, what about Illinois? Uh, yeah, yeah, a lot of a lot of your New England states um, are out there. Uh, there are, uh, let's see, uh, Hawaii can own can own a suppressor in Hawaii. And there's actually some decent hunting in Hawaii as well. I don't know about on the waterfowl side, but for like pigs and axis deer and turkeys and things like that. What about in Illinois? Illinois can't own one in Illinois. State of Chicago, you you can't own one. You can't own one in the state of Chicago. Uh, (laughs) It's kind of like the state of New York. I I ran into some guys deer hunting in Alaska, and I asked them, I said, hey, where are you guys from? We were sitting in a field watching mallards land in a dry field, which I had never seen before. And uh, so I was sitting there watching it, just in awe, watching these mallards pile into this corn pivot. And um, I was talking to these guys that were down hunting with a friend of mine, uh, deer hunting. I'm like, where are you guys from? They're like, we're from New York State. I'm like, oh. And they're like, yeah, we're not from New York City. So we're from the actual state of New York. Uh, you know, and they were very quick to point that out. Uh, nothing against guys from New York City because uh, I've got a lot of friends that live there and they act and they hunt. But they have to, you know, they, they, New York's another place that has fantastic sporting opportunities as well and, and a lot of really great people that are they're just governed by some uh, a very small percentage of of their of their state is is actually the the big voting block which is the large urban areas so kind of like chicago and, and california and or illinois and california and all those other places but uh yeah so on the legality thing the way, the way i always say is just you know always double check um talk to a game warden there's a, some great resources out there the american suppressor association 
is one of them. And you can go on their website and check and say what states are legal for hunting. And um, they have a they have a page there saying you can have one, you can own one here. Cause some states you can own one and you can't hunt with them. What? Yeah. Yeah, you can own one, but you can't hunt with one. There's there's been a couple of states like that. Um that were, yes, you can own one, but you can't hunt with one. Uh Iowa recently turned over and and said yes, you know, yes to all of it, uh to suppressor ownership and to hunting, which is great because I know a lot of guys in Iowa that 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 you know some really good duck hunting up in Iowa as well. Um and uh yeah, there's uh there there's a few states out there that 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 you can own but you can't hunt. I believe um don't don't quote me on this. I should know this, but uh, off the off the cup, I believe it's uh without looking it up, I believe it's um either Vermont or it's one of those Vermont or Connecticut up there where you can't you can own one but you can't hunt with one. I think it's Vermont. So and they're they're working really hard to try to get that to get that passed uh, because there's a lot of good opportunities up there as well. And, and a lot of this comes down to, to education and we've, we've tried really hard uh, as an industry, not just silencer co, but uh, a lot of our other, our other uh, people in, that are in the suppressor business, um, dead air, uh, uh, SIG, rugged, uh, a lot of the other really good top quality suppressor manufacturers out there uh, have, have, have really, you know, gone out of their way to, to try to educate people that, Hey, you know, where these are legal, you can hunt with them and you can, you should use one. And even, even here in Texas where they've been all about hunting with suppressors for a while, it's, um, and suppressor ownership. Uh, there's a lot of people I still run into. They're like, I didn't know these were legal. And I'm like, yeah, they're, they're, they've always been legal. You just always had to pay a tax stamp to own one. And that's where, you know, that's the discouraging part of, of owning a suppressor is if, if you want a suppressor for next year to use next season, you're probably going to have to order it here within the next three to four months if you want to have it in time to start hunting with it. Yeah, and that brings up an interesting point that I'd like to, for you to tell us a little bit about. You know, I know a lot of guys don't own a suppressor, not because they think it's illegal. You know, they'd like to have one. They just don't understand the process if you want to buy a suppressor. So let's say that today um, I wanted to buy a silencer go suppressor off of your website. What's the procedure that a guy needs to go through to buy one? Well, first of all, you know, we, we, we sell to, um, we have two-step distribution. We sell to our distributors and then our distributors sell to the dealers. And so if you're on our website or talking to somebody saying, man, I really want to buy a Salvo 12 uh, to duck hunt with like, okay, uh, first of all, you're going to have to find a store in your area that it's not just an FFL, not every gun store uh, sells suppressors. They have to have their class basically for lack of a better term, their class three license, which is an, called an SOT. It's a special occupational tax stamp. And it's just another license that gun stores have to carry in order to sell uh, short barrel rifles and destructive devices, they call it, which is suppressors. Um, so you have to, first of all, you have to find somebody that, that deals in suppressors. And secondly, you will go in and there's a couple of different ways you can do it. You can buy it on a trust or you can buy it as an individual. Now, a lot of guys here lately have been buying it as an individual because they get them back faster. 
Uh, and when people ask me why, why should I do a trust? And here's why you want to do a trust. If, if like, say if uh, Jay Paul, say you and I were on the same trust. Mm -hmm. Okay. And I went in and bought a suppressor. I would need, you know, when you go in to buy a suppressor, you have to have two sets of uh, fingerprint cards, the FBI form fingerprint cards that you can get done and silencer shop, the company silencer shop makes this very easy because some of their dealers have this kiosk in there where you can go in and do your fingerprints and take your pictures right there. And it's super easy. Um, or you can go to Walgreens and get your photo made. And like you do for a passport, get your fingerprints made, go in and you fill out your paperwork and buy your suppressor. And then they bag all that up. You write a $200 check to the ATF and then they send all that in and then you wait. And right now the wait time and, and, Hats off to the ATF. I, I think they're actually trying as, as good as they can. Mm -hmm. they're, they're trying to, because it, it's one of those things, they're, they're making money off of this. So let's go back to the paperwork. I don't want to get, get off on a, on a, down a rabbit no, hole. No, 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 but hang on for a second. Let's don't go down a rabbit hole, but I do want to point out something. And I want your take on this since you just mentioned it, and then we'll go back to paperwork. You know, I've heard a lot of people say, well, you know, the $200 tax stamp, uh, the government does that because they want to discourage suppressor ownership. And I don't buy into that at all because they're making money off of it. I think that they are trying to get those lead times down because, you know, hey, the, the more tax stamps they sell at $200 a pop, the more money the ATF makes. It would be idiotic for them to be against it. You know, it's just a government regulation that says it's going to be 200 bucks, but the ATF's not doing it to deter people, are they? I mean, it's a money-making deal. It seems to me like they're trying to speed it up so they can do more. It's a money-making deal now. Mm -hmm. um, you know, back in 1934, I don't think it was a money-making operation. I think they, they put that high tax stamp on there to discourage people. Right. Now that, that you have record numbers of people uh, seeing the benefits of suppressors and going in and buying suppressors. Um, I know a lot of guys are like, look, I don't want to, I don't like paying a tax stamp. I don't like paying an extra $200 per item. Uh, but guys I know that are really into shooting suppressors. They're like, that's just part of the cost of getting one. Cost of doing and, it's a one-time deal too. Well, yeah, for that item. So like if you're going to buy three suppressors, you're going to write three checks for $200. So it's just, it's part of the cost of doing business now. I don't, I don't agree with it, but it's, it's the world we live in. Uh, I want to be able to own one. So uh, I'm going to pay the tax and be legal. And I'm not going to break the law. And I'm just going to do what I have to do until we can either have them taken off the NFA or we make it easier for guys to get them. And I think the more that we educate people in Washington and, and educate our legislators, which is another thing that American Suppressor Association is trying to do. Um, I've been on shoots with uh, members of Congress, uh, members of the House, you know, it, it's, it's and, and they shoot them and they're like, oh, wow, this, this isn't silent. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, yeah, you're shooting a supersonic bullet through it. It's, it's going to be loud. It's just not going to split your eardrums every time you shoot it. And they're like, oh, well, that makes total sense. So, um, and, and that's, you know, and that is a very slow, slow route step type movement there. So that, that's, um, as far as if they're trying to make money or not, I don't know. Well, but they're, what they're I'm saying it. is I don't think it's a deterrent thing. I think the ATF, I mean, we've watched lead times go down. So, so to go back to the paperwork, so 
and, and kind of encapsulate. So a guy goes to uh, um, a, a FFL that also has the SOT, and if they have the silencer shop kiosk, then they can do all their paperwork right there in the kiosk. They pay their $200 for the stamp. Um, my understanding is with the kiosks now, if you do it individually, lead times can be down as short as four months. Is that accurate? Yeah. Yeah. Some guys are getting their stuff in four to five months. I, I've had a, uh, one of my friends said, man, I, I did it on an individual and boom, I had it in, in four months. You know, and with the trust and going back to the trust, you know, the reason why you do a trust. So if you and I are on that trust and you have your, you're carrying your trust paperwork with you, that makes it where you can have that item that, you know, we have all of our, say we have four suppressors on that list and we have those four serial numbers listed. If you're stopped by a, you know, federal agent like a U.S. Fish and Wildlife guy or even a state agent and, and he says, hey, let me see your paperwork. You pull out your trust and say, see, here's it. Here's the serial number. Here it is on the trust. I'm, I can legally have this suppressor with me. And they say, have a nice day. And that's it. Um, I've, I've only been asked once for my paperwork and he, he was just, you know, doing his due diligence and, you know, he, he's, he's well within his right to do that as an officer of the law. And I, I don't argue with him. I just, you know, I'm legal. I buy hunting license. I buy duck stamps. Yeah. You know, I buy, I carry my paperwork with me. And, and I, I believe 99% of, of hunters out there that go out and buy a license and buy guns and spend money in the industry are going to do things legally because it's just not worth oh, no, taking no a short. So a couple of things pen. came out of that. Number one, um, you know, if I'm an individual and I've just done it as an individual and, you know, Dave wants to try out my Salvo 12, I can't just say, well, here, you can borrow it and him take off with it on his own. I can let him use no. it as long as I'm there with him physically in his presence. But in yeah. the absence of a trust, if I've got it individually, no one can have that suppressor without me being present, correct? Without you being in, within their jurisdiction. Right. Yes. Second thing. So yeah, I can take off. Um, now, if I understand it correctly, if I really want to get my suppressor quickly, I want to go in, do it, preferably at a kiosk, do it as an individual, but I can add that suppressor. I can establish a trust after the fact, correct? Yes, you can. You can establish it after the fact, but then you're going to have to go in and whoever you're adding to that trust is going to have to wait until their paperwork is cleared. Hey, but if it gets it in my hands faster... I'm okay with making Dave wait before he can use it. Sorry, Dave. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's okay, uh, man. And that, that's what makes it so hard. And that's the barrier to entry that we talk about with a lot of guys. There's, there's a small faction of people out there that are just like, I am not giving the government $200. And I'm like, okay, okay, man, <laughs> you know, whatever, you know, it's like, uh, or I have a lot, a lot of the people here lately is what has slowed a lot of suppressor sales down is, people saying, well, I'm going to wait for that bill to pass. Oh, that and, 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 you know, after, you know, the, the, the Vegas shooting was absolutely one of the most horrible things to ever happen in the history of our, of our nation, in my opinion, um, the, the massacre that happened there. And it was absolutely horrific. And I know people that were there uh, in the crowd and it was a, it was a really, really a, a, a black mark on our, on our history. However, suppressors had nothing to do with that. And, you know, for all of the, the work and the legislation that was pending, because it had already passed the House, it was going to the Senate, the, the, 
the, the SHARE Act that was going through um, and the Sportsman's Act that was going through was going to put it up to have suppressors taken off, off of the National Firearms Act. Um, and they were pushing to take away the tax stamp and for them to be sold just as an accessory where you would still have to go through, you know, fill out a 4473, just like you do when you buy a firearm, you know, just like you do when you buy a rifle or a pistol or, or, or anything else that, that shoots a bullet, you still got to go and, and fill out the paperwork. So, um, we want to just make it where it'd be easier for people to get them because in foreign countries, if you've ever hunted in South Africa or New Zealand and parts of Europe, um, I, I talked to the guys with, uh, with Saco rifles at, at shot show last year. And, you know, they were over, uh, we had a couple of Tikas with, uh, with suppressors on them and, and guys were shooting them and they're like, Oh man, it's so, so great. And, you know, we, we, we don't even like going down on the rifle line uh, because, you know, we're not, we're not walking around with hearing protection on, or we don't ever wear hearing protection because in Finland, you are required, almost required to have a suppressor. If, you, if you're on a range and everybody is shooting suppressed and you're not, then you're told to either wait or go get a suppressor put on your rifle. Wow. Yeah. So it's, it's completely polar opposite. South Africa, you know, a lot of guys are shooting, uh, shooting cans. And, they, and a lot of the guys over there, um, I was at Dallas Safari Club show, uh, two years ago, and a kid, a kid came up to me. He goes, oh, yeah, we make these in our shop at our house, you know, to put on our rifles. And he started, you know, he drew out on a piece of paper, you know, the, the, his design. And I was like, man, that's, that's pretty awesome. Is it quiet? He goes, yeah, it's real quiet. You know, it, and it really knocks the recoil off. And it does, you know, on a rifle, like on a 300 Win Mag, you're going to knock off over 50% of, of recoil on a 300 Win Mag. And if you shoot a, a, a lightweight, like I've got a Kimber, a uh, lightweight 300 Win Mag and a 300 WSM. And I tell you what, shooting it without a can is just not pleasant at all. Yeah, even with the brake, there's a huge difference between what the can does over the brake. I know I have a 300 uh, Win Mag, and, uh, you know, it's shooting it without a brake. It's like being punched. It's a lightweight one. Uh, it's a Ticket T3. And, uh, you know, shooting it without a brake, it's like getting punched by Mike Tyson in the shoulder. Shooting it with a brake, it's much more manageable. Um, I put my buddy's can on it. It's nothing. I mean, it's like shooting my 243, you know. Yep. I mean, it is It is very, very – so there's a lot of, you know, pluses. And talking about weight and even going back to the salvo, I mean, what does is, what is an 8-inch salvo weigh, the shotgun suppressor? That I don't know. What is a 12-inch weight? Uh, the 12 inch weighs 34 ounces. So, you know, an eight inch is probably going to weigh, you know, somewhere in that, I would say somewhere in that 16 ounce category. You know, it, it's still some considerable weight. Um, it's not anything you can't get used to. And again, I think what a lot of guys do is they get the 12 inch and they either don't know that we sell a rod kit or they're like, well, I'm not buying a rod kit because I don't want to spend money on it. And they put a 12 inch suppressor on the end of a 28 inch barrel or a 30 inch barrel. And they're like, this is ridiculous. Now I've got a, you know, 42 inch barrel, you know, sticking out and it's, and it's really hard to manage. You know, when you come up out of the blind, you're shot, you know, you'll dip, you know, with that weight on the end, you'll dip before you take your shot and have to recover. So it's just, it doesn't make a lot of sense to put that big long can on the end of a, on the end of a long barrel. It's just, it's just not enjoyable, but the, you know, going back to the DB reduction real quick, it's not just the decibel reduction that is, is the huge benefit. 
your the bones in your ear get rattled by that overpressure by that shock wave um when you torch that gun off it's basically a, a, a small explosion going off in front of your rifle or your shotgun and uh, you can see it when you when you shoot in low light you can see the flame shooting out uh at the end of a shotgun barrel sometimes they see that um, all the time yeah so, <laughs> 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 but it, it keeps the bone in your ear from getting rattled and that is the one thing that is that plugs or muffs really don't mitigate that well is the 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 overpressure and shock wave coming from that barrel uh yeah, you just can't mitigate that with anything but a suppressor. It's just like running a car without a muffler. Uh, you know, it's offensive. Yeah. Um, uh, if we had to have licenses to have mufflers on cars, which we do, um, you know, it, it, you're, it's 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 a, a public nuisance if you're running a car. I mean, go to a drag hey, we strip. Know, and we know Dave and I know all about noise and public nuisance and mufflers. <laughs> I mean, not in regard to cars, in regard to mud buddy motors. I mean, and it's something that we work. You know, it's been a it's been a topic several times here on this podcast over the last year because it's been a big point of contention in Arkansas, and it amazes me people you know will raise nine kinds of hell about a car being too loud or somebody driving down the road with their music too loud or about their mud motor being too loud. But then, you know, they make it so dang difficult for us to control the noise on our firearms, which are way more damaging to our ears than you know any of the other uh, previously mentioned things. So, yeah. Yeah, I think there's just more and more awareness to, you know, all types of noise pollution. Amen. Amen. Well, last thing I got for you, too, because I know you've got to go here in a second. Uh, let's go back to purchasing. So I go in, uh, I go to my local SOT, I do it at the kiosk, I pay my $200, I pay for my suppressor, but I don't walk out of the store with my suppressor that day, do I? No. No, that, that is where your wait time starts. And, and whether you use a, a kiosk from Sansa Shop or you just go in and fill out your, you know, your paperwork with your, your, your two you know, passport photographs and your two sets of, of you know, uh, fingerprint cards, when you submit all that paperwork and you fill out the responsible person form and you fill out your 4473 and you fill out all the forms that you have to fill out, they're going to take all that plus your check that you write to the ATF. I, I, some guys pay it on a credit card and I, I don't do that. I write a check because I want to see when they cash it. Cause that's usually when you can start the clock. You can usually start the clock when they write the, when they cash the check saying, okay, I know that on December 18th that they cash the check. So that's when you can start the clock saying, okay, four, six, eight months, nine months, I'm going to get this back. Cool. So, um, you know, that's, that's, that's how it all starts. And um, everybody that I know that shoots a suppressor, regardless of their socioeconomic level or whatever, that has gotten into shooting a suppressor, um, they're like tattoos. You just don't get one. You know, it's, it's, you're, you're going to have several. Yeah. And, and, and um, I'm, I'm a prime example of that. Um, I had one on my gun when I first started working for the company. I just got a couple of, and I uh, had some guys hunting with me and they're like, I, I brought guns. I'm like, Hey, I only got a couple with suppressors on it. And you know, my daughter is like, well, I, I'm not going to shoot anything that's not suppressed. She's just, she just won't do it. She's like, I'm not shooting an unsuppressed gun. 
I'll, I'll just go with you and sit in the blind because I don't want to be around that thing going off. I don't like it. It hurts my ears. Even when I plug them, I don't like it. And, and you know, the recoil reduction is, is a huge thing too. So yeah, it's um, once you buy one, it's um, I always tell guys, if you're going to spend the time and do the paperwork and the fingerprints and all that, save your money and get a couple of them because for the time that it takes, I've had guys that they'll, they'll wait all that time. They'll get the suppressor and they'll shoot it and they'll be like, Oh man, I should have got one for my, my other rifle because now my sons are fighting over who's going to shoot the suppressed gun or, or, you know, I just bought, you know, I just bought one and I can think of several other applications where I can have a suppressor on another gun, or I should have got a salvo or should have got a 22 when I got my rifle suppressor. And, and that's usually the, the, the progression that we see guys go down. You know, once they, once they start shooting suppressed, they don't, you know, back. I know for me, it was out of way. I mean, hmm. go ahead, Dave. I'm sorry. No, I, I just thought of a, uh, another market. I don't know if you've approached the gun manufacturers, but, you know, I used to work at Browning and I'll tell you these endurance tests on new rifles and shotguns are brutal shooting boxes and boxes and boxes of ammo. Uh, you know, the recoil and and the noise, uh, you, you guys need to target some uh, gun manufacturers. They'd probably uh, jump on that. You know, when I worked at Browning, um, you know, many of the older employees were there before the days of any hearing protection, you know, where hearing protection was, yeah, wasn't cool. And uh, needless to say, many of those guys are very, very hard What's of that? hearing. So, you know, noise awareness, uh, you know, in, in shooting has gone a long a long ways no doubt yeah it has yeah it absolutely has and, and you know and i i talked to uh i talked to rafe over at browning uh because i got one of the uh, hell's canyon uh six five hell's, hell's canyon guns which is awesome uh i love that gun and uh when i go out and on hunts and, and take it to demos demos and let people shoot it i i i know i know personally i've sold about three of them uh, to different guys because they've, they've shot that rifle and they're just like, Oh my God, this rifle is amazing. And then they call me when they get it and they're like, Hey, this thing isn't threaded in half 28 or a standard thread pitch. I'm like, yeah, Browning's working on that. And, and I believe Browning is working on that on getting them uh, when they get them from, uh, get them from the factory where they're not threaded in that metric thread pattern. They're, they're threaded in either half 28 or five eighths 24. Um, I've been told that, that Browning is working on that. So I hope that they are. On, on the rifle side, on the shotgun side, uh, with the salvo, um, when you buy the can, you don't get a, you don't get a choke with it because we don't know what kind of shotgun you shoot. So, we sell a pack of of, of uh, chokes for either uh, we have Browning and Vector, Benelli Cryo, uh, Benelli Mobile, Remington Pro Bore, uh, the regular Remington chokes. We have Mossberg. Uh, we have adapters if guys are running them on the tactical shotguns, like for a Saiga or something like that. Um, and for the Winchester stuff, you can still run the, I believe on the Winchester guns, you can run the, uh, the Browning chokes, if I'm not yes, mistaken. It is. Yeah. The Winchester Browning. Uh, yeah. They're interchangeable. Well, I'll tell you, you know, for you guys out there listening, if you're wondering about them, I'm going to warn you now. I mean, in my experience personally, you know, I've got a couple of buddies that have had suppressors for a little while. And um, after hunting with them and, you know, the first time that I went out with a guy and shot a centerfire rifle that was suppressed, I was done for. I mean, I was ruined then. I knew right then, okay, I've got to have one of these because if you're on the fence about, oh, is this something that I'd like, you need to 
get with a buddy that's got one and try it. I guarantee you, it's going to push you over the edge. You know, like you were saying about your daughter, you know, she won't even hunt now without having a gun suppressed. Uh, unfortunately, I'm playing the waiting game, you know, so it's going to be a while before I have one still, but, uh, but everybody has to, you know, when you first buy it, go through that wait time. And, and that's the worst part about it. You know, I shot one, I went, dang, I got to have one of these. But you can't just go to the store and walk out with it. But, man, you guys have – I mean, I've seen the Chimera, the uh, Omega 300, um, the Saker 5.56, um, and even the 5.56K, which is really nice and lightweight, provides, you know, great reduction in sound, just unbelievably well-machined. Basically, your suppressors are works of art, and uh, you guys are doing a great job. Uh, if you're out there and you're interested in checking out the product, you can go to silencerco.com and uh, check them out. Full line of suppressors, some really, really great stuff out there. And guys, I'm sorry, we're just about out of time here, but uh, Darren, man, it's been great having you today. Uh, we've learned, have you learned a little bit, Dave? Oh, absolutely. Yep. That was very interesting. Cool. Yeah, guys, and uh, I guess the next step for us is to get together and go kill some birds because I'm um, I'm itching right now. The sun's out, and I know tomorrow it's going to be hazy and nasty, and I'm I'm going to really do my best to get on the water in the next couple of days and, and see if I can't knock down a few birds because I'm, uh, okay. I'm I'm ready to get, I'm ready to go out and, and put some birds down. Yes, sir, and I'm ready to see you come. Well, good luck. Yeah, well, I appreciate it. I'm ready to have you here in January too. We're going to get on them somewhere here in Tennessee or Arkansas, I promise you. And uh, hopefully it's going to overlap with the time that Dave's in town too. Well, guys, that's it for time today. But uh, thanks again, Darren. Uh, Darren Jones, Marketing Director for Silencer Co. Really enjoyed having you today. And for all you guys out there listening, thanks for tuning in to this edition of the Excel Boats on the X Podcast, powered by Mud Money Mo.